Welcome to the Buford Sermons Podcast, where we care about the things you care about. For more information or to donate to this ministry, please visit www.fbcbuford.org. I want you to grab a seat for me and I want you to take your Bible and turn to John chapter 9 this morning. As we kind of continue the theme, or not kind of, we actually continue the theme that we walked our students through this weekend called One Thing. Uh, I want to take just a second before we jump into the text. Uh, This weekend, Dee Hammond came and he spoke to our students. Dee serves at another church locally uh, out in Hall County and... um, He is one of the nicest, kindest, most gentle human beings you've ever been around in your life. We love Dee. He he and his family hold a special place in my family's heart. My wife, five years ago, taught their daughter in second grade, Natalie. And um, Aaron will tell you that she just absolutely adores this family. And then Pastor Corwin was actually, actually gave his life to Christ and was discipled under Dee's ministry. Dee actually poured into him individually. And um, it's because of Dee's faithfulness that we have a student pastor uh, that's able to be used by God the way Pastor Corwin was used by, is used by God. And so Dee did an incredible job of opening, opening God's word this weekend. He's back at his church, but his family came to worship with us. And so students and others, can you let them know how much we appreciate D giving his time this weekend and them giving their time. His daughters came and hung out with us and just jumped right in and it was so much fun to see them. So we love you guys. Thank y'all so much for being here. John chapter 9, as we continue looking at this idea of one thing, again, spoiler alert, the one thing is Christ Jesus and his gospel, right? There's a verse in John chapter 9, we're going to jump into this incredible story, this man who was born blind and Jesus saw him and miraculously gave him his sight, not gave him his sight back, he had never had his sight, he gave him his sight for the first time. And after this man received his sight, the Pharisees and the religious leaders didn't really like Jesus. They didn't really like what he was doing. And so they began really pressing this man, pressing him to say that Jesus must be a sinner, pressing him to say that Jesus isn't who he says he is, pressing him to say something negative about the one who made him able to see. And in John chapter 9, verse 25, we're going to go back to verse 1 in a little bit, but we're going to start just jumping out right here in John chapter 9, verse 25. The Bible says this, the man replied after they tried to say, tell us that Jesus is a sinner. There's no way that he is good. The man replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind but now I see. In that one sentence, this man had this incredible story. Now, at this point in the story, he has not been revealed to him yet that Jesus is the Son of God. It's not been revealed to him yet that Jesus is the promised Messiah. All he knows, I was blind, but now I see. Many of us in the room who are believers can look back across our life and we can see statements like that, can't we? My marriage was in shambles, but now it's whole. Addiction had taken over my life, but now I walk with Jesus. My kids were making decisions, but now that weren't pleasing to anybody but now 
They're serving our Savior. My heart was broken and I was in the depth of depression. But now I live with joy. For the greatest of all, I was a sinner deserving for and doomed for an eternity in a devil's hell. But now I'm a child of the king with an eternity resting in his nail-scarred hands. This man said, there's one thing I know. Jesus made me see. This one thing, Jesus and his gospel, it is the one thing that we should elevate above all things in our lives. And it is the one thing that it is so hard for us to focus on in the culture, in the community, in the day and age that we live in, isn't it? You see, we've spent all weekend pointing these students, Dee and the small group leaders and Pastor Corwin, pointing these students to this one thing, to the reality that there should be one focus in your life, one man who you worship, one object of worship in your life, one thing, Jesus, that apart from Jesus, nothing else matters. And that sounds so good coming from this platform, doesn't it? Most of us can even... Many of us, maybe some of us can't, but most of us can even nod our heads to that. Yeah, one thing, Jesus, that sounds awesome. I grew up in the Bible Belt, one thing, Jesus. But then when we start measuring our lives, (laughs) before we jump into the text, can I be real honest with you parents and students? I love this place and I love these people and I love this community unlike anywhere I've ever been in all of my life. This is home. Do you know how hard, do you know how hard it is to get students to take a glimpse at Jesus with all the other distractions that are happening around them in this place? So this morning, I want to encourage you students and parents and church to look to this one thing, Jesus, and not make Jesus a thing in our lives. Because when we make Jesus a thing in our lives, eventually he becomes nothing in our lives. But what happens when he becomes the thing, the person The focus, the one thing in this crazy world, busy world, hurting world that we live in. We see two truths this morning in John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, there is way too much here for me to unpack this whole chapter this morning. I'm not going to attempt to. We're going to touch all of it, but I just want to share with you two truths in this incredible story. You've heard mentioned already, this man was blind from birth. He was begging on the street, and then he met Jesus. And we're going to read the text here in just a moment, but I'm going to go ahead and share with you this first truth that we learned today, and that is one thing. Now, every time we say one thing this morning, we're talking about Jesus. One thing brings purpose to our pain. 
One thing brings purpose to our pain. In, in John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says this. As Jesus went along, he saw a blind man, a man who was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, it was very common to have this understanding, however false it might have been in many cases, that if somebody was born with something wrong with them, with some sort of disability, specifically here in this case, if somebody was born blind, that there was some cause of that, that there was some sin that caused this pain in this person's life. And the reality is, when we look back to the very beginning of time, it is sin that caused pain, right? That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea and the beast of the field and it was good and then he created man and woman and it was good that God saw them and created them and God created them in his image and they lived in perfect communion with God in the garden Adam and Eve did and it was good and then Satan crawled up to Eve while she was standing in front of the one tree that God had commanded them not to eat from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, don't you want to eat some fruit from that tree? And she said, I can't. God says, if I do, I'll die. He says, no, you won't die. You'll be like God. You'll understand things that God understands. And she goes, oh, that sounds pretty appealing. And so she takes the fruit, and it looks good. It smells good. She takes a bite out of it. It tastes good. She takes it to Adam. It looks good. It smells good. It tastes good. And I didn't die. I just know some things that God knew that I didn't know before. And so Adam eats the fruit. And the Bible says, by one man, sin entered into the world. And because of that sin that entered into the world, we now live in a world that's broken, that is full of brokenness and sickness and death. So yes, in the very beginning, going back, it is, it is sin that brings upon this pain and brokenness. But our God is a loving God, and he's a merciful God and a gracious God. And so God had already, from the beginning of time, in his all-knowingness, he had already put in place this plan to redeem the world to himself. And so in order to redeem the world to himself, he would one day send Jesus through his people, as we see the old Old Testament lead all the way up to Jesus's birth, his life, his death on a cross, his resurrection. We get to this story and it's when Jesus is in his 30s. He's doing his ministry. He's getting ready to go to the cross on your behalf and my behalf. And in God's redemption plan for his people, God says this. He says, sometimes our pain serves a purpose of glorifying God and redeeming God's most precious and valued creation, you, to himself. The disciples said, Jesus, why is this man blind? Did he sin or his parents sin? This is what Jesus says in verse 3. It should be on the screen for you. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. You see, when we trust in the one thing, it brings purpose to our pain. Pain is a reality in life, isn't it? When you look across this room, me serving as a pastor in this community and in this church for 10 plus years, man, I look out in this room and I see eyeballs that I've watched with tears pouring out of them. I see Spouses who have not just one, but multiples, multiple couples, not multiple spouses that are all together. That's weird. But 
I see spouses who have loved wives who have loved their husbands through darkness and struggle. struggle. I see parents who have wept over their kids. I see moms and dads, grandmoms and granddads who have lost kids and grandkids. I see families who right now are struggling with sickness. I see kids who have friends who are fighting for their lives. We have seen a lot of pain, haven't we? And you know what I've learned in my life? Pain for pain's sake is no good. Like it's no fun just to hurt, to hurt, is it? I mean, you think physically. Physically, we face pain sometimes. Sometimes when you get older students, you do things like work out and play basketball with high school boys on weekends and you feel pain afterwards. Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, last night, while the kids were playing dodgeball, normally I would play dodgeball with them. But Aaron and I got this fun new toy at our house that you, can, that you work out with. And um, as I worked out this week on this fun new thing attached to my wall, my body began to ache. I went Friday and did this thing at the gym we go to called a Power Extreme Workout. Anything that has the words extreme and workout in it, you probably shouldn't do, especially if you're 37 and already a little bit overweight, but I did it and I was hurting. And then yesterday in the gym, I decided I needed to be able to pitch some dodgeballs to some boys and try to strike them out. So trying to throw dodgeballs as hard as I could until my arms tingling and I I needed to play basketball and try to beat these high school boys in basketball. And so last night I sat down on the wall in the gym while they're playing dodgeball. I sat next to my wife and then I went to get up and I realized my knees weren't working and somebody had to come help me up. It was really, really embarrassing and it hurt. Working out hurts. But I don't cause pain for pain's sake. Why do I go work out and cause pain? Well, I'm kind of a prideful human being. I do it partially because I don't want to get any larger than I am. I also do it so that I can brag to my friends at the end of the day. I burned 1,500 calories today. How many did you burn? Because pain, listen, pain with a purpose, I can get through. And here's students, what Jesus is telling us. Listen to me. You're going to experience loss in your life. And it's going to hurt. You're going to experience anxiety in your life. And you're not going to know where to turn. You're going to experience broken relationships. Except for my daughter. She's never going to experience that. Listen. And you're going to feel like your world is crashing around you. You're going to experience disappointment. You're going to realize you can't live up to this standard that some community has set for you. You're going to feel like a failure. You're going to have... Listen, your parents are going to fight. Some of you, your parents are going to split. Some of you, they already have. You're going to walk through pain. And you're going to ask yourself the question, God, what did I do wrong? God, where did I sin? God, why did you give me this? And you're going to begin to say, God, it must be me. And I say to you this morning, 
when you live your life focused on the one thing and you elevate Jesus above all else and you know that you are a child of his who has been saved by his incredible grace, who has repented of your sin and put your faith and trust in him and you live your life with the purpose of not pleasing a bunch of adults who told you you need to do all these things to please you, but you live your life with the purpose of pleasing your creator and serving him and pointing others to who he is and your focus is the one thing, it's then that when you walk through pain, you don't have to ask God what did I do you can ask God how are you using me and pain with purpose listen pain with purpose is still pain it still hurts it still keeps you up at night it still places you where you can't wake up in the morning But pain with purpose puts you in a position to where others can see the glorious works of God. And it's better to walk through pain being used by our creator than to live a life of comfort that has no value. Jesus said, this man did nothing wrong. He's just walking through it. He lived his life blind. He begged on the street. He says he's he's walking through it so we can display God's glory. And when we make the one thing Jesus, the one thing, he uses our life in that way. Listen, pain is still pain. But when we make the one thing the one thing, our pain has purpose so we can have joy in the midst of our pain. We can have peace in the midst of our pain. We can have moments of laughter in the midst of our pain. We can see purpose and that purpose keeps us moving. While I was doing my Power Extreme workout on Friday, one of my former students, one of my favorite students to ever come through here, she stuck it out with us well into high school years, which is really tough for Buford students to stay connected to student ministry into high school, stay really active because their lives get so busy. Her name's Hannah Jo Hyatt. She catches at Clemson now. We call her JoJo. She was working out with me that morning. I didn't know she would be there. I said, I don't get to work out with former students often. Jojo, come work out with my group. She's a college athlete, a Division I college athlete. I'm me. We had pull-ups. Jojo did pull-ups with the little thin rubber band around her. Actually, she had kind of a thicker rubber band around her foot so that it would help her get up as she's doing the pull-ups. I said, she did it with the thicker rubber band. I'm a grown man. I'm getting the little thin rubber band. So I got the thin rubber band. My legs were shaking. My arms were tired already. I couldn't get it around my foot because I'm old and I've got too much mass around my midsection. And so instead of getting it around my foot, I put it on my knee. Somebody taught me that one time. I put it on my knee. I do a pull-up as I'm coming back down, getting ready to do the second pull-up. One, I did the first pull-up, and I immediately thought this was a bad idea. There's no way I'm going to finish 10 of these at this point in my workout. As I'm coming down, I get tired. This rubber band is stretched to full length. I'm so tired that my foot, that my knee is in the rubber band, straightens out. The rubber band flies up. It pops me across the forehead, across the eye. I almost fell off the box. It made a loud noise. 
I look over and there's Jojo standing laughing at me. It hurt. And I looked at Derek and Lisa Rackley who owned the Blessed Gym. And I said, Derek, I'm leaving. Never coming back. I didn't tell him I'm never coming back because they come to church here and I want them to come to church here too. He looked at me and I said, never mind. I got back on the box and I finished it. Why? And I finished it with a smile and I laughed at myself. I couldn't see out of my eye. I was scared it was going to be black and all the students were going to laugh at me this weekend when they asked how it happened. It wasn't. But I was able in the midst of my pain to laugh even when things didn't go my way and to find some joy and to continue putting one foot in the uh, in front of the other because I had a purpose in what I was doing. Listen to me. When we walk through these things, as long as we keep focused on the one thing and we acknowledge that God desires to use our lives to glorify Him and to display His power to the world, even when things don't go our way, students, when we don't get what we think we should in that class, when we don't get the play in time we think we should, when our parents start fighting when some other ugly boy breaks our heart, ladies, or when some sweet, precious girl breaks your heart, boys, however it works out. Listen, when you lose that friend, when your friend's siblings are fighting for their lives, when you don't know what you're going to do, when you think you can't measure up, my Jesus says, just trust me, look at me, keep putting one foot in front of the other, because in the midst of your pain, there's an incredible purpose. When you can keep focused on the Savior, and you can keep focused on the one who gave his life for you, and that becomes your purpose, it changes your perspective to where even in the midst of your pain you can walk with peace with joy with hope because you know that the creator of the universe the most powerful power in all of existence is working in and through you Romans eight twenty eight says that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose that is not a prosperity verse that says if you love God he's going to make your life easy and comfortable as a matter of fact it's the direct opposite the apostle Paul was writing that he had been locked up in jail. He had gone through some stuff. He had to flee cities for his life. He was a man that wasn't a favorite among a lot of people at times. And he wrote that saying this. It's the same one who wrote Philippians chapter 4 4 verse 13 when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, whether I'm rich or I'm poor or I'm hungry or I'm full or I'm sick or I'm healthy. I can live a life that honors and glorifies God. What Paul is saying when he says God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. If you live your life called according to God's purposes and you desire to be served with God's purposes or be served for God's purposes, then everything you walk through in your life is going to be used for God's purposes. And when you're used for God's purposes, it always works out for your good, whether you feel it or not. It's encouraging. The one thing gives us purpose even in our pain. And then the story happens. Jesus then spits on the ground, verse 4, made some mud with his spit, put it on the man's eyes, and said, go, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. And we begin this interaction that lasts this whole chapter, and we learn the second truth. One thing brings purpose to our pain, but the second truth this morning is this. One thing brings freedom through our faith. This man was bound by his blindness. 
he couldn't see. As a matter of fact, I would imagine if this man could see, he would have never let Jesus get that close to him. I mean, Jesus walks up and doesn't say, hey, buddy, I'm going to make you better. He doesn't walk up and place his hand on his eyes. Jesus walks up. He picks some dirt up out of the ground. He spits on it, rubs it together in his hand, and then puts it in his face. The man never saw it coming. But Jesus began working. The man goes and washes the mud off his eyes from the pool that Jesus sent him to. And all of a sudden, for the first time in his life, he can see clearly He goes back to the place where he had been begging. And I'm not going to read all of this for sake of time. But people begin asking, who is this man? This isn't him. This is just somebody who looks like him. Maybe he had a super secret twin brother who could really see. And the man goes, no, this is me. I'm the one who used to sit here blind and begging. What happened to you? Jesus happened to me. The one who they call Jesus came and he touched me. He spit on some dirt in the ground. He rubbed it together. He put it on my eyes. It was kind of wet and gross. But. I didn't know what else to do but listen to him he said go wash it off in the pool I wash it off in the pool and now I can see it's a miracle nobody's ever seen this before and these people said let's take you to the real religious leader so they took him to the Pharisees and the Pharisees begin questioning him what happened Jesus healed me Jesus couldn't have healed you Jesus is bad I was blind but now I see Jesus healed me Jesus No, yes, no. And they had this interaction. And we get to verse 14. And the Bible says, Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. And the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. They were divided into two groups. Those who were contemplating following Jesus and those who were already decided that they were going to forsake who Jesus was. As the man came and the Pharisees began to argue with him, they said, this can't be somebody who's good. It can't be the son of God because he worked on the Sabbath. It is important to understand why Jesus picked dirt up from the ground, spat on it, and then rolled it around in his hands and used that to heal the man's sight. Jesus didn't have to do that. Jesus should have looked at the dude. He could have looked at the dude and said, hey, COVID's going around. I'm going to stay this far back. You're healed. We're good. Go have a nice day. Why did Jesus do what he did? Well, part of working on the Sabbath or part of keeping the Sabbath based upon not only the law, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy is the law. in the Ten Commandments, but then the religious leaders would take the law and they would expand the law. They would use their traditions to try to create these standards that nobody could live up to. And if you did live up to them, there was this part of just being miserable to try to prove how pious and holy you were and how righteous you would appear to be to the world. Well, part of keeping the Sabbath was that you couldn't need, the language there is you couldn't need dough or clay. You couldn't work with dough or clay. And so this is what the Pharisees were saying here. This dude had been blind for all of his life. Jesus made this blind man able to see, and all they could focus on was Jesus picked up dirt, spat on it, and rolled it around in his hands. By Jesus kneading the mud, working with the clay, 
he broke the Sabbath, he must not be good. The blind man was bound by his blindness. The Pharisees were bound by their tradition and were trying in their religion and were trying to bind Jesus by the same. And they continued to ask. Tell us again what happened. The man finally says, verse 24, they asked him, they said, give glory to God by telling the truth that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. They immediately committed blasphemy. And the man replied, we've already said it and seen it. Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. They asked him again, what did he do? He said, I told you. And then verse 34 says, they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. Now here's... What happened with them throwing him out? Them throwing him out was not as simple as, hey, get out of here for a day and come back when you want to tell us what we want to hear. It wasn't a go to your room for a moment. It wasn't even how we might view it in our culture. Maybe if we had to say to somebody, leave our church here in Buford and them say, okay, well, I've got, you know, four dozen other churches within a 10 mile radius to choose from. These people throwing him out, listen, this man was born blind. He lived his whole life blind. He couldn't function on his own. He was sitting and begging for alms so that he could provide something for himself. He had to have people lead him around. He was fully dependent upon the generosity of others. All of a sudden, Jesus made him able to see. Can you imagine the excitement in his life? Man, I can see colors. I can see shapes. I can see my parents for the first time. I can see the animals that I've always heard. I can see the water that I've heard rushing by the excitement of he could see and now they say this you're no longer welcome in our community or our culture them throwing him out was them casting him out casting him out of all things community it was them making him for the rest of his life an outcast who could no longer enjoy the things that his newfound sight would have allowed him to enjoy. For the rest of his life, people would look upon him as a sinner, a messed up, messed up, dirty, unclean sinner. He would probably have a hard time finding work, have a hard time finding a dad who would allow him to marry his daughter. He was cast out from everything. They were literally binding him up and saying, we are putting shackles on the rest of your life because you keep saying that this Jesus did something. And the Bible says in verse 34, verse 35, Jesus heard they had thrown him out and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man said, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. Get this image. 
this man was thrown out of the place of corporate and community worship. And when he was cast out of the culture, Jesus met him where he was. And there he got to worship in a way that he had never experienced before. Why? Because he only had one thing. And that one thing was Jesus. Here's the application for you families. One, to you parents who are in the room who sent your kids a jump start, signed up, paid however much it cost, got them here, came, took them to whatever practice or whatever game you had to take them to, and then got them back here as quickly as you could, picked them up late last night, got here early this morning for a really good breakfast. But I know you guys, y'all could have cooked a really good breakfast at home. You could have gone to Cracker Barrel by yourself a little bit later. Listen to me, parents. I say this from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. I commend you. I appreciate you. This weekend, you honored God with your decision to allow your kids to take part in what they took part in. Let me give you a warning. A warning that I have to battle every day of my life. See, those who don't know me may not know this about me. I like being in large crowds of people. I like doing things that others are doing. I like being liked by other people. Like, I, I unashamedly, I want you to like me. I want you to, I don't know, is that the song? Listen, I, I, I do. And you know what else I want? I want you to think my kids are good. I want you to think my kids are smart. bless their souls genetically I want you to think my kids are athletic like I I want you to think I've got a clue what I'm talking about and so here's what I find myself battling I find myself continually wrapping these chains around my hands being bound to this idea that I want to fit into the culture that I've moved into. And I want my kids to fit into the culture that I've moved them into. And so I run this rat race. I like baseball and softball, and I've coached a lot of baseball and softball. And I know a little bit about it. And I want people to know I know a little bit about it. So any chance I get to coach or to teach this game, I drop everything to do it. I have this internal battle every week still to this day. Because I agreed to let my seven-year-old play travel baseball. And I'm a pastor. Travel ball parents, how's that going to work out for me? But, 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 I, but I want these people I'm trying to reach to think I can relate to them. And so I'm bound to this life of impressing them. 
And what happens is I find myself living in the bondage of trying to meet some cultural standard that comes from the community I live in. And instead of, instead of walking in the freedom of simply following Jesus. I do it in my parenting. Y'all going to be like, I'm never coming back to this dude's church. Because he's telling me that he's not very good at this stuff. Do you know how I do it in my parenting? How I know I do? There are times in my life as a dad. More times than I would be willing to admit. When I'm more concerned about how people view my kids. I'm more concerned about my son looking you in the eye and saying hello because he's really bad at it. I'm more concerned about them being able to say that my kids had all A's at the end of the year because it makes me proud that my kids make all A's because at the end of my sophomore year, I had a 1.8 GPA. So God somehow did something miraculous through my wife. Y'all didn't even laugh. That's a true story. It's another reason. Now, we ain't going back to church there. He's a terrible parent and he's dumb as a rock. Listen. I get more concerned that my son says hello. I get more excited to show you videos of him making a shot in a seven and eight year old basketball game on an eight foot goal and then celebrating for himself afterwards. I'm going to embarrass my daughter. I'm sorry to her and all of her friends who are here. I well up in pride when a beautiful, sweet, Eighth grade girl sits down next to me last night and we begin having a conversation. And she says, I know Emma is never sassy or mean or gets in trouble at home because Stephen, she is so sweet at school and at church and people just love her. And I go, one of the cool kids just said that about my daughter. I'm a 37-year-old grown man. How sad is that? Listen, I know I become bound by the desire to be accepted by the cultural synagogue that God has placed me in when I become more concerned with those things than I do pointing my son to who Jesus is. When I spend more time talking to him about hitting in a cage than I do talking to him about learning to open God's word and pray. I'm not fussing at you this morning. That's me. There are parents in the room who will tell you I love their kids and I've shared the gospel with their kids and I've got to baptize their kids. And I've used ball to share the gospel with their kids and baptize their kids. But there's times in my own pride when I'm more excited to tell people about how good the kid who I've been working with, training, doing lessons with since she was eight years old is. And I forget to tell them it's purely because her genetics are freakish. It's not because she works with me, but because she works with me, she's a pretty stinking good middle infielder. You ought to watch her. And I get more excited about telling people about that than I do about telling them about hearing her mom tell her late on a Saturday night, mama, we're going to church tomorrow morning 
Because this culture we live in, listen to me, students, this culture we live in will tell you every day baseball and wrestling and basketball and grades and scholarships and all those things are more important. Listen to me. Focus on the one thing. All that other stuff goes away. It goes away. I don't care how good you are. I can't look at you like I used to at other churches and say, your kid's not going to be a Division I athlete. Quit worrying so much about it because half these kids are going to be Division I athletes. It's really scary. But I can look at you and say, even if you are, it goes away. The one thing is this. It's not the cultural synagogue where we've set up of kid worship and success worship and sports worship. I can say these things because I love it as much as you do. I'm caught in the middle of it as much as you are. But I pray, God, pray my heart and break my community's heart to just want to point people to Jesus the one thing what's the one thing I'm out of time and so I'm going to let you go focus on all those other things in just a minute what's the one thing in the beginning God created God created us in his image. We're broken sinners. But God loves us so much in that while we're still sinners, he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for our sin, a death that we deserved, not so that we could be seen as successful by the rest of the world or by some silly school ratings. He sent Jesus to die on the cross so that he could pick us up out of our mess and give us purpose that's eternal. And by his grace, he looks at Stephen and says, you are a prideful, arrogant, not very smart, not very talented in a lot of things. human but I love you and I'm going to place you in the middle of this community full of really beautiful really smart really talented people and I'm going to somehow give you favor with these really beautiful really smart really talented people but before I do any of that Stephen I love you so much that I'm going to die on a cross a death that you deserved And then I'm going to defeat death and I'm going to defeat hell and I'm going to defeat the grave and I'm going to defeat your pride, Stephen. And I'm going to defeat your insecurity, Stephen. I got a bunch of them. And I'm going to defeat your desire to be liked by everybody, Stephen. And I'm going to defeat all of those things. And some of those things, I'm going to bend them to be used by my glory. And I'm going to use you to impact eternity in this place and this community and in the world because I'm going to save you out of your sin. And when I was a little boy, I recognized in my brokenness and my sin I needed a savior and I surrendered my life to Jesus and I am far from perfect but I thank God he draws my heart back to seeing the one thing just enough for him to use me in an incredible way and here's what he says to you student here's what he says to you mom and dad here's what he says to you church listen all these distractions around us all these cultural synagogues that this man so desperately I'm sure wanted to fit into keep saying to you Jesus isn't enough for you it keeps 
keep saying to you, you shouldn't give all your time to him. They keep saying to you, as long as you are successful in life, it's okay. All of this cultural synagogue tells you that all these other things are important. And if you don't bow to all these other things, we will kick you out of our cultural synagogue. And my Jesus stands waiting and says, let them kick you wherever you want. I'm here. And as long as you're worshiping me, you're serving a purpose that is far greater than anything you could ever imagine. Surrender to the one thing and the one thing alone. Quit making the one thing a thing. Because when the one thing becomes a thing, it becomes the second thing. And it becomes the eighth thing. And it becomes the tenth thing. And when the one thing becomes just a thing, eventually it becomes nothing. And Jesus says, call me Lord and worship me. That's what the man did. Here's the challenge this morning. Students, parents, church, call Jesus Lord and worship him. Let everything else fall where it may. How do I do that? Acknowledge my sin, my need for a savior, and surrender it all to him. Would you do that this morning? While we worship, I'm going to be standing right up here in the front. I'd love to talk to you if you want to do that. Students, me or Pastor Corbin or your leader would love to have that conversation. I don't want to talk to somebody this morning because I'm like Stephen. I'm pretty prideful. And if I walk up, somebody will think something's wrong. That's cool. We got something for you too. You text the word Buford Info to the number 97000. And that will come to my phone. And I'll begin a private conversation with you about what it means to call Jesus Lord and worship him. You already know Jesus. You're already a follower of his. Listen to me. Quit doing like I do and putting the chains of this culture around your hands and around your neck every day and simply wake up tomorrow and say, today my focus is loving Jesus and pointing my kids to love Jesus. That's it. Let everything else fall where it might. Stand together. God, I thank you for this day, for who you are as we worship. God, as we sing to you, Lord, I pray that we'd be obedient to you. If we need to text that number to begin a conversation, Lord, if we're a dad, a mom, a student, an adult, God, I pray we would do that. If we need to come talk to somebody, Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to come talk to somebody. I'll be up front. We'll have some pastors in the back waiting. If somebody needs to slide out while we're singing to have a conversation with somebody about what it means to follow Jesus, we'd love to have that. God, if we need to come pray, Lord, I know there are parents in the room God, I'm praying to you, but I hope they hear this. I know there are parents in the room who are walking around with chains around their neck and around their wrist, trying to feel accepted by this community by making their kids super successful at all the things and are forgetting to point them to you. God, I pray you would give them the courage during this time to come get on their knees before you and pray, Lord, give me the strength to make the one thing the one thing in my own life so I can then point my kids to it as well. For those who need you, God, I pray you would move in their hearts, supernaturally draw them to trust you. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Liliana leads us in singing, if you need to come pray, some of you parents need to come pray for your kids. Some of you in the church need to come pray for our community. If you need to text that number, whatever it is, you'll be obedient this morning. As we hope that you have been blessed and challenged by this message. If you have questions, prayer requests, or want to know more about how to follow Jesus, please check us out at fbcbuford.org.